Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll just give it the 10. I'll bump it up. We'll, we'll, do, we'll just round it up. <laughs> right. I love it. We've had some good times. So oh, yeah, for, for sure. everybody that uh, that doesn't have the honor of knowing you, um, just introduce yourself real quick. Tell us a little bit about you, about your family. You've got a beautiful wife and some really, really beautiful babies. Tell us a little uh, bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I am from Hampton, Virginia. Well, I'm really not from Hampton. I'm from Phoebus, Virginia. There's a difference. There is. I want everybody. I want everybody in the world to know that I'm from. <laughs> I'm from Phoebus. What is the difference between being from Hampton and being from Phoebus? Because this is important. It's just. It's just. It's just the culture and the environment, the community, mm-hmm. just everything that's there in Phoebus. Fort Monroe is there. Um, you know, that's where the first land and you know, the first Africans from from Africa, sl- transatlantic slave trade, all that happened there. Mm-hmm. And it's just a pride in Phoebus. It's just. It's just pride. You got historic things. And so you want to tell people I'm from Phoebus. I'm not from Hampton. I'm from that's Phoebus. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so yeah. what else about you? So born and raised Hampton in Phoebus. Graduated from Hampton University. I was a music major. Uh, I was in the band doing all of that. Uh, my parents are, are preachers, so I'm a PK. Um, that's kind of it. Well, I, you know, now I lead worship now. Creative arts director at the church. Uh, songwriter, do some recording. Uh, but here recently, a passion is, well, it's always been a passion of mine, but I've been able to really uh, use my voice a little stronger, being an anti-racist and speaking out on social injustice, things like yes. that. My, my dad was the president of the Hampton uh, branch of the NAACP. Uh, so I grew up going to NAACP meetings my whole entire life. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know he was the president. Yeah, my dad was the president of the branch for years. Those meetings were always at Monday at 7 o'clock. <laughs> I, I don't know why I remember, I remember that, but I just remember it. Yeah, so that's that's what I do. I'm married to my wife, Shanika. We'll be married five years in December. Woo, congratulations. Oh, uh, thank you. Got a three-year-old, Reagan. She'll be four in November. And then Ryan... It will be two in March. She's already almost two. And we found out this week that she's basically potty trained herself. Awesome. Yeah, like yeah, I'm just I'm I'm amazed. Literally, all of this happened this week. So, <laughs> and how has it been adjusting to two kids? And how's Reagan doing being a big sister? Reagan is really good with it. She has, of course, like little kids, she doesn't always like to share. Everything is hers because everything was hers for a good year and a half. Yep. You know, getting over that. But she loves her sister. She loves watching out for her and showing her how she wants to be her teacher. And so she sits her down. Okay, Ryan, this is how we make an A. And this is what it did. So she loves being a teacher. And Ryan, Ryan is Ryan is very strong-willed. Believe she's little, but she has her little. She she's she's the feisty one out of those two. So she she enjoys it. They they love each other. They don't fight they don't argue too much they like making each other laugh all of that staying up all night making each other laugh and not go to sleep yep of course parenthood man oh yeah. Oh, that's great that's great so chris before we jump into the real serious stuff let me ask you this 
Okay. If we were gathering a group of leaders, which I know you do, I know you're heavily invested in investing in other leaders, worship leaders, and all sorts of leaders across yeah. the human. So if we were actually gathering a group of leaders around a real physical table so that we could talk about some leadership stuff, I have to ask, what would you be serving them? What is your like go-to thing that you can actually make or just your favorite meal and you feel like, you know, this is, this is the meal that would feed our bodies while we talk about leadership stuff that feeds our souls. What would it be? Ah, this is going to be so bad. Now, neither of these two things, I can't make either one of them, <laughs> but they would either be uh, chicken and waffles from this place called Dames in, in North Carolina, in, in Greensboro. Okay. They have, it's not just normal, just waffle with chicken. They, they have different kind of waffles with different kind of smears, which are like, kind of different butters or flavors. Um, that would be one. The other would be Southwestern egg rolls from Chili's. I could literally eat those every single day. Yes. So I would, I, it, it, would prob- it would probably be the egg rolls because they're easy to eat with your hand. So sitting uh-huh. around the table, I probably would do that. But Southwestern egg rolls with the normal ranch, I would eat them every day. That's great. I have actually had those Southwest egg rolls from Chili's and I will say that they are amazing. But man, you got me with the chicken and waffles. I'll tell you, as much as we love living in California, the thing that I have been missing over the past few months is just some good old soul food. Yeah, it's nothing like food from the South. No, there's not. And if any of our (laughs) listeners who live in the Northern California area have got the down low on where I can get some good, legit soul food, I need you to like hit up our DMs or something and tell me because this poor Virginia girl needs some shrimp and grits. Yeah, I don't know where Gladys, I I think Gladys and and Ron's, that might be in Los Angeles. So I don't know how far it is from you, but that's the only place that I know that serves chicken and waffles. That's all I know. You know, I'm writing that down right now, too. Gladys and Ron's. And Ron's, uh-huh. yes. Uh-huh. I'm going to check it out. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, now that we're all good and hungry. <laughs> right. right. Of course. <laughs> Let's talk about the real reason that we're here today. And so uh, aside from the amazing food that you would bring to the table, what is it that you bring to the leadership table? The leadership table. I believe one of the biggest things I bring to the leadership table is the heart and the necessity for diversity. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate of diversity. Like, that's just my thing. Like, I went, um, even even growing up, I went to a private Christian school up until sixth grade that was bit predominantly white. Yeah. I was probably, it was probably only four black kids in the whole school, and the school was K through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so all my sports teams, I was always one of the two black kids. Um, just my parents always made sure that I was involved in things that exposed me to a world outside of my neighborhood so that I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't think that my world was only what was on my street, if that makes sense. Yeah. And my parents all also, my parents were advocates of multicultural church before it was popular. Now my parents didn't have a multicultural church, but we always fellowship with, with churches that didn't look like us. Um, we all, we always did that. I mean, we did. Yeah. Since my dad started the church, right. um, we always did that. So I, so celebrating diversity is one of the things that I would bring to a leadership table. It's different when you tolerate diversity versus when you celebrate it. 
Um, Can you unpack that a little bit more, the difference between tolerating diversity and yeah. celebrating or advocating for it? Sure. Yeah. When you tolerate diversity, you just do things to fill a, uh, to check off a box. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you have faces that look different and are different colors, but you don't really uh, address or even listen to the concerns of those faces. You just have them so that it looks like you're multicolored. Like yes. a lot of our churches that claim to be multicultural or even just organizations that claim to be multicultural, they're really just multicolored. You just have a lot of colors. You don't really have mm-hmm. a lot of cultures. Um, so, so tolerating multi tolerating diversity would just be having it to check off a box, but celebrating diversity is when you actually submit to the voices of diversity and allow their voices to be heard and to be in the decision-making process and not just expect them to go along with it. So that causes you to compromise. Um, it causes you to have to listen. You may have to bend some things or not do some things or do some things um, to make everyone feel like their culture is included and it's valued and it's not just, just it's just not tolerated, but you actually mm-hmm. celebrate it. You actually um, are sensitive to the things that you say, the conversations you have, the reasons why you do certain things, the places where you spend your money the place where you don't spend your money, mm-hmm. um, the areas that you give money to, um, yeah. all of that, the people that you have on leadership, um, the people that are in your leadership um, needs, needs to be diverse because everybody that, everyone that follows your leadership, they need to see somebody that looks like them because b- believe it or not, just seeing somebody that looks like them gives them more of an assurance that their, their feelings and their needs will be heard mm-hmm. and will actually be listened to and not just Okay, just tolerate you for a second and then put you off to the side and let's get to the real agenda. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so to me, that's the difference between tolerating and celebrating diversity. That's good. It sounds a lot like what you're saying right now. And I've heard some leaders talk about this too, uh, especially women, is it's the difference between having a seat at the table and having a voice. And I think that first step, you know, a lot of organizations, and like you said, a lot of churches now are wanting to be multicultural. And so they've offered seats at the table, but haven't actually given a voice. What are some, just a few quick, from your experience, practical things that leaders can do with their teams to make sure that not only have they given people a seat at the table, but they're actually giving them a voice into the conversation. What are just a couple practical things that leaders could begin doing even now that they could put into practice? Um, some practical things you can, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of stuff not musical because <laughs> words we got. So I'm trying to think of something <laughs> musical. Um, you could things like and like make sure that when you are um, or coming up with an event or some type of thing that you're doing, make sure that the that leadership committee, that planning committee, that's what I'm trying to say, that the planning committee is made up of diverse faces and diverse cultures of people. So that way you you have an all inclusive thing um, instead of just being dominated by majority culture. Um, that's one of the things that, that you can do. Um, one, the other practical thing that you could do is instead of meeting at, like, for example, if you meet at a place that's normally dominated by a, a certain culture, go to a meeting place that is from the minority culture. So, for example, mm-hmm. if you're always meeting at a coffee shop that you see a lot of white people at, and you have some Hispanics 
or even African-American people try meeting at one of the Mexican restaurants, yeah. a, a, a real Mexican restaurant, not Taco Bell, <laughs> <laughs> like the real one where, 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 where you have to ask somebody, what is this word on the menu mm -hmm. so that, so that you can learn their culture and they can feel like it. So it'll, it'll cause you to submit your privilege yeah. to someone else. And you have to put yourself in the seat of I'm learning now mm -hmm. instead of always forcing someone else to learn my culture, because what that does, especially with leaders, it makes, it makes the people following you, the people that you're leading, it gives them assurance that you don't mind, um, adapting and that you don't mind putting yourself second that you aren't always first right. and then it, 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 it helps people to follow you a lot easier when they know that you're not just the the dictator and you're just not my rule my way or the highway mm -hmm. so doing things like that 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 intentionally cause you to be uncomfortable for a second i think leaders once you show that you're you're okay with being vulnerable like that it opens up a trust to your other leaders and other people that are following you. So I hope yes. that answered your question. It did. That's good. Okay. I think there was a couple really tangible things that you said in there. And it all really does come down to surrendering and submitting our privilege, putting ourselves yeah. in the space where we, as the normally majority culture, have right. to be the minority culture. And even just that, like you said, changing your meeting place, right. putting yourself somewhere where you're not instantly comfortable is, right. is a huge part of it. And it seems like a small step, you know, right. for those that are listening, it might seem like, okay, really, I want to celebrate diversity. So I'm going to change my meeting place. But I don't think we realize just how much we are driven by our privilege or right. how often we yeah. can be for, for as, as a, as a, as a, you know, white leader, how often we are in spaces where we don't even realize it's comfortable for us because right. it suits our culture. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to surrender that and to lay that down and to be in a space that's not our norm or not necessarily comfortable, it, it gives that, that empathy and that shared understanding. So I think some of these little steps are, they're huge. Mm -hmm. They're huge. Now you mentioned uh, when you first started answering that question, you mentioned having a hard time thinking of an example that wasn't worship. And so <laughs> right. let's let's talk about that because one of the other things that um, that I wanted to talk about today is because, like you said, you are a, a worship leader, singer, songwriter, just incredibly, probably one of the most gifted and talented and uh, so soulful worship leaders that mm -hmm. I have ever known, just so in tune with the spirit of God. And, and obviously that, and I've seen it in your family too. I mean, I know yeah. your family, I know your wife, I know your kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, that spirit of worship and, and being a worship leader has completely inundated your entire family. Yes. <laughs> and so that is just, I mean, it is part of y'all's DNA. Oh, and yeah. I think, and, and you can, you know, share your experience too, but I feel like this is one of the spaces that we as leaders, oftentimes we miss out on. Worship becomes a part of what we do on Sundays, but not mm -hmm. actually a way of life, a lifestyle. Right. And so we may not all be worship leaders, but mm -hmm. I think there is value in being worshiping leaders or leaders mm -hmm. who worship 
What I want to hear from you is talk to me about what does it mean to be not just a worship leader, because this is not just the thing that you do on Sunday mornings. It is literally who you are. What does it mean to be a leader who worships and where are leaders missing out by not embracing and living a lifestyle of worship? Let's just start there. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's take it away from music. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of times we think we say worship, we always automatically go to music. But yeah. music, music is music is not worship. It's a it's a way that helps us to worship, but it's not worship itself. Um, and sometimes we get it misconstrued right there um, because it has nothing to do with music. Because that would say the person who can't sing or can't play, or that's tone deaf, or that can't even hear, or that can't sing. That, that would disqualify from them being a worshiper. And that's totally not true. Uh, yeah. We know that the Bible says he seeks for worshipers and he's not after the the things, but he's after a broken spirit and a contrary heart. So that qualifies you right there. And and worship is, and like you said, it's a lifestyle. So everything that we do, the Bible says, do that as unto the Lord. So even our giving, our giving is a form of worship. Our serving is a form of worship how we are honest on our jobs, that's a form of worship. How we are integral, that's a form of worship. How we handle conflict is is a part of worship. So leaders that lead in worship, they lead by being the models of how to handle conflict, how to um, do things in decency and in order, how, how to give. I think leaders should be the first one seen giving. I think we should be the ones that model how to give. Um, when it's time to give, when it's time to sacrifice, the leaders should be the first ones giving of their substance, saying, I believe in this, this is what I'm doing. And it lets people see, it gives them a assurance that, okay, this is good ground to sow into. This is a good move. Let's go there. Because our leader is doing this and we trust that he or she is hearing from God. So if our leader is doing it, then, hey, let's go for it. So those, it's, it's more. It's very important that that leaders are worshipers. That way, I wouldn't say more so than in the corporate worship experience, but the corporate worship that just that's our time of gathering. Mm-hmm. After we leave the four walls, that's the everyday life. That's everything we learn in the four walls helps us live life outside of the four walls. Right. So we should be seen doing the things outside of the four walls, like the giving and the serving. All of those things are forms of worship. Um, you know, Jesus was our perfect model as a, as a model of worship and as a model of a servant. And of course we know, um, you know, you haven't worshiped until you've been obedient until you said yes, mm. until you surrendered. That's when you fully have, have worshiped. Uh, the, the yeah. when, when Isaac, when the Lord uh, was telling um, uh, to, to, to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham sacrificed Isaac, you know, Abraham, he said, let's go to the mountain to worship, you know, Isaac had no idea he was going to be sacrificed, but the let's go to worship. Worship requires sacrifice. And if you aren't sacrificing, surrendering, if you you aren't saying yes, if you aren't dying to your flesh, uh, if you aren't dying, um, you know, it's it's not it's not worship. Uh, I was listening to one of my my brothers, Travis Green, preaching the other week. And he said, I'm probably paraphrasing it wrong, but he said uh, uh, praise requires breath. Worship requires death. Mm. So yeah, that he was talking about the whole sacrifice thing. 
you know, praise, you know, as long as I'm breathing and let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Only prerequisite for breath, for, for praise is breath. If you're breathing, you can praise. But yeah. to worship, you've got to die. You've got to sacrifice. Something's got to burn. Mm. <laughs> Some, something's got to be given. There's got to be some substance sacrifice there. So leaders should be the first one giving, should be the first ones making sacrifices. Yeah. What are some of the things that we as leaders, in order to actually live a lifestyle of worship, what are some of the things that we have to die to, especially in today's culture? We have to die to comparison, ambition. I think those two things, um, comparison and ambition, and I think everything, a lot of other things are under that umbrella, like fear, all that stuff, you know, that's, that's under, to me, comparison. Because a lot of times you're fearful because you're comparing what you do to what somebody else is doing. Or you don't think it's going to work because you can't do it like they do it. Mm-hmm. So that comparison and that ambition, you want it so bad that you you tend to lose the why of why you're doing things. Yeah, It's just about, it's just about numbers. It's just about filling seats. It's just about... You know, again, comparing being bigger than the church down the street, having the better sign than the churches in the area or um, it, 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 that ambition, wanting to be the best, wanting to be the ones that everybody looks to. I think those things get in the way. And of course, that is rooted in pride. You know, so all mm-hmm. that's all those things. So that's why I try to the umbrella <laughs> to me was 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 the comparison and the ambition, just wanting to be the top, wanting to be the best, right. not necessarily going after what God is giving you to do. Mm-hmm. You just want to be the best. So I think those things get in the way of us being great leaders. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And you mentioned, you talked about all of these different things. You gave a few examples of things that are actually an act of worship. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, you threw leadership in because that's what we're really talking about. So for the listener who this, just that point alone is kind of already wrecking them a little bit Mm -hmm. and shifting perspectives to consider that my leadership is an act of worship, that my stewarding of my influence is an act of worship. Whoa. I mean, that just completely flips everything on its head. That requires that I look at how I'm doing what I'm doing, that I look at every aspect of my leadership and I'm reframing it as this is an act of worship unto the Lord. So for the person that's saying, you know, they, they just had their mind blown by, by that fact that Mm -hmm. my leadership is an act of worship. Um, Because then I think the next place that we go to is, so then what does that mean? What does that mean for my personal life and my personal time? What does that mean for how I'm acting my leadership out in the world? So let's let's start with our own personal lives, our our leadership of ourselves, if you will. If my leadership is an act of worship, what does that kind of, what changes does that necessitate just in my own personal life? And what does that look like? Well, yeah, it all—it all starts personal. It all starts within yourself, because um, whatever we do in public is only a demonstration of what we've done privately. Um, you know, so any and even even if we make it look good on the outside, eventually, what's on the inside is gonna, you know, be be exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 gonna come to light. But you've got to do, you've got to establish. Um, just a lifestyle of worship amongst yourself. And especially if you have a family, um, you have a family that you're leading. Um, you lead, if you lead your family well, 
you'll be able to lead others well because uh, your family, they see your, your good and they see the flaws yeah. uh, and they see more of them than others. So making sure that you have the, the daily, the thing about worship is that um, like, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm getting ahead of you, but uh, my definition of worship, I guess you say that, is, is a lifestyle of someone who has a daily intimate relationship with God that's exhibited through obedience. So the part that I'm talking about now is the daily intimate relationship. It's got to be a daily thing. Every day, it's a new, it's a new start. It's a new opportunity. It's a new challenge. So every day, you can't, you can't feed today with yesterday's bread. Yeah. Um, you know, God, God gives us, gives us fresh bread every day. So you've got to approach fresh bread every day. You can't use the strategies that worked yesterday and think that they're going to automatically work today. So just the daily commitment to be in the will of God and to be focusing on saying yes to God. I believe, I believe if you, if every, and making, here, here's, here's, here's the thing, making God the center of everything, not making him the first on the list. Cause if you make him first on the list, lists can change. Mm. But when something's in the center, when it's the nucleus, everything else changes around it. But the center is going to be the center. So if everything is focused, if everything, if God is the center of every decision, of every song you sing, of every person you hire, of every uh, um, business that you want to partner with, with every idea of building expansion or whatever, if God is the center of it, you know, it's coming from a pure place and a solid place. And that you can stand firm on that. So you've got to get that nucleus. You've got to get that centerpiece strong. And that happens through the daily intimate relationship with God. That's good. I love that piece, what you said right there. And I want to hit that again, that there's a difference between having God at the top of your list and having him at the center of your life. Yep. Yep. That's that's huge. That's huge. You've got to be at the center. And so can I ask, and now I know we're kind of, we're getting a little personal and so you can yep. share, you know, as much as you oh, want or not, but what are some of your, if you don't mind sharing okay. a little bit, some of your personal practices, what does that look like for you? Habits that you have adopted to engage in that daily intimacy, not as a worship leader, but yeah. as a leader who worships, what are some intentional practices that you regularly make a part of your life? I make sure, first of all, every every day. Now I'm not as consistent with it. Of course, you know, with having kids, it's a little different. Every almost every day is a different yeah. challenge. But I have to find, I have to make time for the time when I can. It can just be me and God, just me and Him. And most of the time, not doing a lot of talking, but trying to do more listening than talking. So making sure I, we have that daily time that we plug in together. Because I know that he's the source. And if I'm unplugged from the source, then my light is going to be dim the rest of the day. <laughs> so I got to make sure I'm plugged into the source so my battery doesn't go out. Um, that, And I make sure, me and my wife, we make sure that we are always in a posture of giving. Mm. Always in, a, in, whatever, in whatever way that looks like. If that looks like, you know, having a sacrifice eating because someone calls and you trying to, you know, talk them through a life situation or 
or if you know you know someone needs some financial help and you have a little bit that you can spare um just time um making sure that that we value our time but we always are looking in ways to give because we know that when we when we give out we know that God is never going to allow us to be empty so the more that we give the more he pours in which means the more that we can give, which means the more you can pour in, which means the more we can give. So those those things, because again, I, we want to be seen as leaders that have a heart of giving. Um, mm-hmm. So th- those are two of the daily practices that I can think of. That's good. Like at the top of right now, off the top of my head, that I kind of make sure that we implement every day. Um, we we really are intentional about every day trying to find some way that we can say we gave mm. today. We, we gave something today. So again, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's resources, uh, whatever it is, but we can say I gave today. Cause I think if you are a leader that doesn't give, that's always receiving, it's kind of, it's, it's selfish. And then you end up, you know, getting mm. puffed up thinking that everyone has to give to you. But, you know, always wanting to be in a posture of giving. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, too, um, and I can say this because I know you, that you lead at a high, high, high level, that you have a lot of things pulling on you and pulling for your time. And so when you're saying this, when you're talking about giving of yourselves, giving of your time, giving of your finances, giving of your family, you know, whatever that may be, that you're not saying that flippantly. I know that, you know, I know that you're not just someone who has all the time in the world to sit around figuring out how you can give it away. And so you're really talking about sacrifice. You were talking about a self-sacrificial form of leadership, which is in and of itself an act of worship. worship. And that is directly tied into that giving that you were talking about. Yeah. God, God in his word, he's, he says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah. And what did he give? His only son. The reason why we're able to have access to the Father is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So he right. loved us so much that he gave. Like, mm-hmm. he gave. So we have to follow that model to give. And we yeah. know that when we give the the overflow, that the outcome of that is, you know, it saves the world, literally. Yes. And I think it's important for us as leaders to grab onto that because like you said, we're often either one of two things so focused on either receiving or just feel like, oh, but I've got, I've got so much to do. I've got a team to manage and I've got this thing to build and that thing to do. And I've got the list and and all of this. And my time is already so full. You know, when you talk about Mm -hmm. someone who, who is leading, yeah, we're talking about a full life, a full schedule. And yet, And like you talked about the model of Jesus, you know, and yet there's this constant posture of giving, giving Mm -hmm. to the team, giving to the people, giving to the crowd, always an outpouring. Always. (laughs) And so what is, if we were to expand to the next layer, so we kind of talked about just your personal sort of intimate place with that, but for the leaders who are listening, let's expand to that next layer of, okay, I have centered everything in my life uh, around this nucleus of God. And I'm committing myself to leading a lifestyle of worship because I'm recognizing that my leadership is a form of worship. So how does that translate out into the next layer of how I lead my team? How do I 
lead in and through worship? What are some things that I'm doing as a leader to keep my team cycling around that nucleus and to actually be leading those closest to me from an understanding that what we're doing is a form of worship? Yeah. Okay. So one, I'm, I'll try to answer two ways. One, well, with two things. One, as a leader, uh, if you teach your team to always think of the team always over yourself. So I have my team, my, I always present a question before them. What You should be asking yourself, what does the team need from me in this moment? So every moment, take a second and say, what does the team need from me for this moment? Mm. Whether it's a song, whether it's an outing, whether it's a handling a situation or whatever. What, what does the team need from me in this moment? So that way it always postures, postures ourselves to think of the team first, mm-hmm. always in a posture of how can I serve the team? What does the team need from me? Um, that's one of the things that you, because when you create a culture of that, when you create a team of that, it creates a culture of that. So even when new people join the team, they see that everybody is serving one another mm-hmm. and they just jump in line and they just start adapting their personal preferences to this is how this team works. Yeah. This team is a team of servants. And we, what is it that the team needs from me for this moment? Like, what is it? Do I need to do more or do I need to do less? Mm. Like which one <laughs> do I need to help or do I need to take charge? Do I need to fall back or, you know, um, the other thing is I am a very, uh, as a worship leader, I study the tabernacle a lot. That's like, that's my thing. So the inner core, outer core, Holy of Holies, um, and the Ark of the Covenant, you know, represents the glory of God, right? If there was uh, no one could carry the Ark by themselves, mm-hmm. like nobody could carry the ark by themselves. It always required for people to carry it. And they yeah. had to, they all had equal weight. No, nobody carried more so much more, you know, so much than the others. There was always a team effort in carrying the weight. Yeah. And and when somebody isn't carrying their weight, it gets unbalanced. It starts rocking. Somebody tries to do something good to help assist it. And they touch it, and now their life is on the line because they weren't supposed to be carrying that, all because the team wasn't working together. So, like we, I wear a shirt by my friend Trinity in Orlando. Lead worship, like lives depend on it. They, it does. Like we lead worship, like I carry this weight, this glory. I carry it, like lives depend on it because they do. But we do it as a team so that everybody helps and everybody reach the benefit as well. So asking that question of what does the team need from me in this moment and knowing that we carry this together, we win together, we lose together. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So how, another question that I have is, um, so we've talked about the idea that leadership in and of itself is a form of worship. That is part of our sacrifice and our offering before the Lord is living out our leadership. But also how is worship itself, the, the act and the art of worship, which doesn't 
necessarily have to be singing. I know you said we mm-hmm. always relate it to music and singing, but there are other ways to worship. How is the art and act of worship a tool? How do we see it being used as a tool in scripture? And how is it possibly a, if we think about a leader's toolbox, all the different tools that we have as leaders, and there's a lot of different things that we would put in there, but I wonder for how many of us is worship, the act and art of worship, is it one of the tools in our toolbox? And if not, what are we missing out on? How is worship itself a kingdom advancing tool and how can we, what are some practical ways that leaders can incorporate the art and act of worship into their time with their, their team? You know, someone who says, look, I understand that worship is powerful. Worship is one of the many tools that God has given us. Um, but I'm not a worship leader. And so what does it look like to actually worship together to worship with your team? And, and how is that a tool that we miss out on? I think, yeah. Uh, I think that Again, because we always, we try to put worship in a box of it being just music and just Mm -hmm. singing, we disqualify ourselves. But there are many things, many acts that that assist, I'll say, in worship. You've got um, things that are visual, things that are are audible. like, 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 for example, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna answer your question, but mm-hmm. I tell them like my sound, my sound and tech people, like you lead worship with what you do, you because our job as a worship team, uh, is to I tell our my my, my people our job is to is to facilitate a place where people can come and meet with God, whatever that means. I'm facilitating a place where people can meet with God. So with me, I'm singing and playing, but with you. You have an eye, a gifting that God has given you to create visual presentations of God that I can't do audibly. Um, the light scenes and how you transition certain lights to match certain moods of songs, how you bring certain colors that create certain emotions that draw people into what God is saying in that moment. That's just as effective as what somebody is saying over a microphone. So whatever gift and talent you have, whether and people who don't do that, but who are strong in prophetic areas, who give words of knowledge, who prophesy, who see those things aid in the worship encounters. And if that's what God has given you, then that's what you use. But if you are stifling that because it's not what you think is the popular thing to do during worship, it hinders uh, what you do as a leader because every leader has strengths. And every leader has weaknesses. And if you're always afraid to uh, to lead with something that you don't feel is popular, your your people will miss out on that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when you step out of that boat um, with your act of worship, it again shows that you are a leader a leader that's not that doesn't have a problem with being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't have a problem with um, lifting your hands in worship that doesn't have a problem with jumping or clapping or those expressions of worship that we sometimes as leaders can feel like is above us because we're leaders. We have to be, you know, all together and all of that, but showing that vulnerability and showing that nothing matters more than my response to the presence of God. So I'm not going to allow my physical body or my mental state 
to keep me from responding to God and giving him the praise and worshiping him the way that he's deserving of, you know? Mm-hmm. So I hope that, that answered that. No, it does. It really, and I think that vulnerability piece yeah. too is huge because worship, whether we're talking about in an actual, you know, moment of worship right. in a service or even just the idea of living a lifestyle of worship, it is a very vulnerable and sacrificial place. Mm-hmm. And, and it does, it requires that we as leaders tap into that place of vulnerability that yeah. we don't always like to show. Right. But that is so important mm-hmm. and critical because ultimately as kingdom leaders, you know, we are leaders, but we're fully submitted elsewhere. Yes. And we are leaders who are following where God is at work and just trying to come alongside and join him. And that requires that, that submitted, surrendered vulnerability. I love that. So if we had, uh, the last thing that I'll ask you is if we have some listeners who say, you know what, I want to go and I want to change my leadership this week. I want to go into my staff meeting on Monday. I want to go with my team on Tuesday. You know, I want to put this into practice. I want to understand and recognize that my leadership is an act of worship and that worship itself is a tool that it shifts the atmosphere. It, it transforms our people. It can even transform our organization. So what do I do if they say, man, give me one or two, you know, practical things that I can go in on Monday or the next time that I am with my team and say, hey, we're going to take a second and we're going to do this. What, what would it be? What are some things that any average leader could put into practice and feel um, qualified Mm-hmm. to do with their team, to embrace worship as part of their leadership? This is going to be so, it's going to sound like it's so cliche, but I'm going to hopefully be able to explain it or give more detail. <laughs> okay. Pray. Mm-hmm. Prayer is prayer with the team. I'll say that. Prayer. Um, prayer is, prayer is where we, where we get our, instruction prayer is where we get the tools and the ideas and the plans for what we want or what what the purpose of our team should be again because it's got to be god's got to be the center of it remember so everything's got to be it's got to come from him the language of, of faith is prayer and you know that that that's how we communicate. That's how we speak to God is through prayer. Mm-hmm. So prayer is going to be the key because you may feel that certain things about your team aren't well, but through prayer, God can show you, yes, it is. You just tweak it. Don't throw it out. Just do this. It's exactly what you all are supposed to be doing, but you kind of on the wrong street. Just come over a street and you'll be right in, in the lane or you'll find some things that are not working because you're trying to be like the other church or you're trying to be mm-hmm. like the church on TV and it's not working. That's not what you're called to do. That's not your mission. That's not the focus that I want your church to be on, but you won't know that unless you're in prayer. Yeah. Cause I mean, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and spiritual weakness in high places. And the only way to fight those spiritual things is to fight them with a spiritual weapon. And our strongest spiritual weapon is prayer. Mm -hmm. We can't fight, we can't get instruction 
you can't find instruction without without the language of prayer. So I think prayer is going to lead to all of the other things. Um, prayer and finding out what is the purpose of this team and how are we going to carry that out. You're only going to get that through prayer. You know, through prayer, guys, the Holy Spirit going to download things to people and, you know, then it'll come out that way. But if it's just a whole bunch of man-made ideas, it's going to be a circus. I mean, I know that's such a general answer, but like that's it because everything is going to have to flow out of that. Mm-hmm. It's like so sincere, fervent prayer, not yeah. just this one time. We just going to pray this one time for mm-hmm. an hour and that's going to be it. It's got to be a culture and a lifestyle of prayer. So that way you're mm-hmm. day, daily, that daily intimate relationship with God, you get an intimate relationship with God by talking to him. How do you talk yeah. to him in prayer? Yeah. So there has to be a part of it, you know, you, that the constant, the consistent prayer will give you the instruction for how to turn the team around or to change the team and, and how to get them to focus more. Where It's got to be through prayer. And what I love is that two things that strike me in what you're just saying is one, it takes us back to the basics. And yep. I think it's easy for us as leaders to, to overcomplicate. Yep. All the time. Yep. Overcomplicate things because, oh, we're leading these big organizations or we have teams of hundreds or, you know, the church is growing, whatever it may be, wherever the context that you may be leading in. And all of a sudden things start ramping up and we're overcomplicating it when the reality is. And even, you know, I love what you said, because how often do we see Jesus model that in his life? How often is he sneaking away to be with the father or teaching his team? They said, teach us how to pray. Right. Because they saw the value of that. And like you said, that's where the vision comes from. That's where the strategy comes from. There is no strategy like divine strategy straight yeah. from the mouth oh, yeah. of heaven. There's a worship leader. I can't remember which, who, it, who it might, it might be. Paris, I can't remember who it is. But just thinking about, what, about prayer and Jesus, uh, Jesus did two things when he was on the earth. He prayed. And he did what the father told him in prayer. Yeah. Everything Jesus did when he walked on the earth, he was either praying or mm-hmm. doing what he heard the father tell him to do in prayer. That was it. Like yeah. nothing else. All the miracles, it was because God told him to do it in prayer. All of the people to choose to go to this place to do this. He heard. And when he got finished doing his miracles and doing his things, he would always go somewhere and retreat and do what? He was right. somewhere. Yeah. And the disciples saw that. So it was like, hey, Teach us how to do that, because apparently you got something that we don't have. Hey, right. hey, this is how you do it. You pray and do the will of the Father that you heard in prayer. So as leaders, we got to get back to the main thing, like pray, do what we hear in prayer. Mm-hmm. As long as we pray and we do what we heard in prayer and not get it convoluted and try to make our put our little two cents in it, yep. no, do what you heard in prayer. <laughs> yeah. I love I love how simple it is. And and we yeah. do, we overcomplicate. Oh, oh we yeah. need all these things and we need yeah. to do this with our team. And no, we need to pray and do what we hear the Father saying. That's so good. And what I love about it too is that this is for every leader. Because not I realize that not everyone listening is leading in a faith context where they can go mm-hmm. in and say, Okay, team, hey, we're gonna pray together right now. But every leader of faith 
is able to put that into practice. If you're leading in an organization or a corporate culture or whatever it may be where um, you can't actually go in and and tell everyone, hey, we're going to pray right now, you still have the ability to practice this powerful, powerful tool and to lead from the overflow of that. Yep. Yeah. This is good. This was such good stuff, Chris. Um, was there was there anything else on your heart or, or anything that came to mind that um, you thought of that you wanted to share? It doesn't have to be. I just want to make sure that we don't leave anything unsaid. No, I don't, I don't think. And nothing came to me that was like, oh, yeah, let me put that in there. No, I don't have anything. Not this Awesome. Time. Awesome. This was so great. And what you said was so valuable and easy to apply. And you shared so much of your own heart and life with us. And so on behalf of everyone listening, I just want to say thank you for being here at the table today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I consider it an honor. Trust me. I really do. Really, I do. The honor was definitely all all ours. And so I'm so glad that everyone decided to pull up a seat today and listen in. I hope that you found something in here that you can put into practice and just watch your leadership be transformed. And so until next time, we will see you again soon at the table. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.